to another episode of the Mobile Word Podcast. My name is Pastor Nathan Paygard, and I'm grateful that you could join me today. I'm looking forward to walking through the Word with you. The passage in Scripture that we're going to be reflecting on and studying for this episode is in 1 Kings chapter 18, and we'll be focusing primarily on verses 36 to verse 40. Um, so if you want to get your Bible, um, I'm going to be reading out of the NIV, uh, but if you'd like to read the scripture out of your Bible first to get the context, go ahead and press pause and uh, rejoin the podcast when you finish, or hang on with us as I read from the NIV, and then you can read your your version afterward. So again, we're going to be focusing on 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 36 to 40. So I'll go ahead and read, uh, and I, again, I'm reading from the NIV, and uh, then I'll go ahead and pray, and then we can talk about uh, what, uh, what the scripture has in store for us as far as uh, lessons or applications. So let's go ahead and start in 1 Kings 18, verse 36. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal, don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. Okay, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this scripture. We thank you for these verses. And we ask, Lord, that you speak clearly to us in this time during this this podcast and during this Bible study. There's so many mysteries, so many questions that we have when we uh, approach your word. But Lord, we know that you give generously and that you know the desires, you know the questions of our hearts. So Lord, as we all look into this scripture and this story involving Elijah and the prophets, and Ahab, and your nation of Israel during this point in their history, we ask, Lord, that you make this relevant to us now, wherever we are listening. Make it relevant to our situations as we are walking forward as Christians or as people that are unsure about Jesus and unsure about the gospel and unsure about you. So, Lord, speak clearly to us. Make your presence known to us so that we can know that you are God and that you are living, and that you are with us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So right now for this this podcast, we've, we've selected uh, verses that are uh, in the middle of a story. So before I get into uh, maybe some points and some, some lessons that we can draw from these specific verses, uh, I think it's important um, for us to at least know, know a little bit of the context. Um, so in First Kings, um, you you have in chapter eighteen, you have the prophet Elijah, and without going uh, into too much detail and background of Elijah, what you have in chapter eighteen is is a showdown. Uh, what you have in Israel is an increasing number of the prophets of Baal, and Baal is uh, one of the pagan pagan gods. So so not from not from the God of Israel. It's an opposing a belief and a, uh, an opposing deity. Uh, in that area of the world. And what's happened um, throughout Kings, and, and one thing that uh, 
that always is 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 a challenge for me in in reading Kings, and I've I've heard it be a challenge for other people reading Kings is that uh, it is complete chaos. It's complete chaos in in the 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 different kings and kingdoms um, that are uh, discussed and the success, the failures, um, the the drawing near to God, the falling away from God. Um, it gets very challenging to follow. Uh, whereas when you read Genesis or when you read Exodus uh, or when you read the Gospels, you have somewhat of a linear uh, story arc. You know, you have point A to point B. Uh, when you're reading through Kings, it's like a point A to B to C throughout the entire alphabet. Um, it gets very confusing. And uh, actually, one time I was I was doing a Bible study several years ago, um, and I was meeting with a woman that was was uh, uh, interested uh, in the Bible and and seeking God in Scripture, and uh, kind of similar to our our Bible study right now, this podcast, uh, we typically wouldn't have a a plan or or a specific curriculum. Uh, we would we would meet and we would open the Bible and uh, God would lead someone to pick verses or to pick a chapter and that would be our scripture for the Bible study. So it really uh, tested our faith, uh, our our belief that the Holy Spirit was with us and could could uh, could deliver a message regardless of where it was in in scripture. So for this specific Bible study, we were reading Kings and uh, it was getting confusing. And in Korea, the the Bible studies were not just difficult in the sense that the Bible can be difficult to understand, but you add in the, the element of being an ESL Bible study. So I'm trying and I'm praying to uh, to God to help me to, to communicate what is already a confusing book or, uh, or confusing books as clearly as possible to, to someone who is, one, new to Christianity or, or new to, uh, to certain aspects of Christianity, but also is, is struggling with the language. Now, thankfully, the, the the woman that I was meeting had had relatively uh, good English, but still, it was a challenge. And after we were reading, you know, I just remember she said, "I'm I'm so confused. You know, I don't understand what is going on. What is the point?" And uh, when when God called me into to ministry, God called me into Bible studies and leading Bible studies. Um, I was as new as everyone else. You know, I had just been saved maybe about a year prior. Uh, to, to arriving in Korea and had no interest in really even attending Bible studies, let alone leading them. So I was, I was brand new and I had no idea, you know, how to lead a Bible study, uh, what were going to be my talking points, how do, you, how do you approach certain types of questions or certain types of believers or non-believers. It was just God is alive and with us. The Word is alive and it's His voice and the Holy Spirit is there to translate. That's all I had. So when this woman says, I'm, I'm confused, I don't get the point, she was reading my mind. I was reading, and I was thinking, I don't know what the point is. You know, what is the point of all these different names? What is the point of all this, this chaos? And I remember all, all I could do, and it's one of the lessons that God taught me, you know, right away as I was starting to lead Bible studies, is he told me very clearly, get comfortable saying, I don't know. You know, as, as a Bible study leader, uh, or, or as a leader in church, a pastor, whatever the position, uh, sometimes our ego or our pride, you know, convince us that saying that we don't know, even if we don't know, is the wrong move. And God, from the beginning, he said, you know, you're not going to know a lot of these answers. You're not going to know how to explain something 
And the worst thing to do in that situation when someone has a question or is confessing that they're not sure about something is to act like you do. You know, the worst thing to do in that in that moment is to lie. So God was telling me from the beginning, when you don't know, you tell that person you don't know. Now, you don't leave them there and you pray with them or you tell them, I am going to, to talk to the Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read in the Bible. I'm going to look high and low for your answer because I believe that God provides answers to our questions. But in this moment, I don't know. So I told her, I said, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. And I went home that, that night. At this point, the Bible study maybe was finished around 1130 or midnight. And I went home and I said, God, what is the point? And he gave me this vision of one of those carousels at the carnival. And he gave me another vision of one of the one of the rides, like the, the little mini roller coasters. And you buckle in and you know, there's anticipation buckling in and you're nervous and you're excited and then it takes off and it's really disorienting. You're spinning around, you're doing loops. And he just showed me all these carnival rides. And, and he's, you know, he said, how do you feel? You know, as if I was riding these rides and I said, I'm dizzy. You know, and he, and he said, well, how do you think Israel felt during all this time? I said, dizzy, confused. And he was getting me to, to put myself in their position, kind of from my position of just reading the Bible, he was saying, how you feel reading the Bible, that same root feeling is exactly how Israel was feeling in this time in their history where they didn't know which way was up, which way was down or left or right. It was totally confusing. And once I, once I could, could empathize, once I could relate, then he said, well, why, why do they feel that way? You know, what, what brought them to that point of disorientation? And he led me back to the answer that they decided to have one of their own be their Lord, be their master, be their king. And once he established the truth that they had decided, they had insisted to have one of their own be their king, he reminded me that his design never designed for that. His design never included that part of the the procedure, that part of the process. He was going to be our king. He intended to be our king. And when God is king, things are clear, things are straight. But when we have someone, when we put ourselves on the throne, when we put ourselves in the place of authority that only belongs to the Lord, things get confusing, dizzy, you're unsure. So in this part of the, in this part of, part of the story, what you have is you have people not knowing which way is left or right. And what has happened is that the prophets of Baal, this opposing deity, have suddenly had a, a surge in popularity and success. You know, so what we read in verse 22, it says, Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets, one against 450. You know, he's outnumbered, clearly. The minority, the outcast, the loser, the failed prophet, unsuccessful. You know, that's the situation that we have with Elijah. And what's happening in chapter 18 is there's a showdown. And Elijah is proving that his God is the real God. He's, he's exposing the falsehood of those, those prophets and the, 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 the God of Baal, that deity that they profess is the real God. He's exposing the falsehood in that claim and that lie and the deception that has overcome so much of Israel during this part of their history. So what you have is a showdown. Prior to verse 36, 
Elijah has allowed the prophets to go first to prove that Baal is real. So what they do is they build an altar, and it's like a contest, you know, saying, you know, we're going to both build altars, and we're going to call on our God, and the God that responds to our prayers, you know, they fill up the altar with with uh, with the sacrificial meat, the water around the trench, it's, it's filled, and the, the challenge is that if your God is real, when you call upon that God, fire will come down, and will lick everything up, it will light up the sacrifice, will light up the water, everything will be touched, there will be a tangible presence of your God, if your God is real, responding to our prayers. After, after that challenge is, is, is established, prior to verse 36, the Baal prophets are crying out, they're praying, they're calling on Baal, and nothing happens. So in verse 36, you know, enter stage left, you have Elijah, and Eli- this is Elijah's turn. He just finished instructing all of the, uh, you know, the, the, the servants to, to, to set up his altar and to set up his stage. And, he, and, and I was just reading this before I started the podcast, even when it comes to the water that's surrounding the altar, you know, in this trench, he almost goes overboard. You know, in verse 33, he says, He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. So we have four large jars with water. Poured it on the offering, the meat, and on the wood. And then verse 34, Do it again, he said, and they did it again. So now you have four, you have eight. And then it says, Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. So he's, he's so confident because he knows. He knows that Yahweh, he knows that God, the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, is real. There's no doubt there. You know, that w- w- when, you're, when you're called out by someone and you're standing in front of a lie, that you're backing a lie, and you're called out, and you're challenged, you don't puff your chest out even more. You don't walk taller. You don't surge forward with more confidence. You know, that's the moment where you, you, you it's, it's like playing a game of chicken, someone calling your bluff. But with Elijah, you don't see any, any kind of yield. You don't see tracking back. You see someone that knows what he knows to be true. What he knows to be real is truly real. So he almost goes overkill so this is this is where we are in the story is you have Israel in chaos, the Baal prophets uh, dominating the the spirituality or the re- the religiosity in Israel at this point, and you have one lone prophet Elijah calling out like a voice in the wilderness. You know we see that echoed, we see that carried through into the Gospels with John the Baptist. He didn't have a team; it was him. That's why John had the spirit of Elijah with him. You know, it's him alone, but he knows. He knows without a shadow of a doubt, he knows that his God is real. So there is no, there is no fear. There's no shrinking back. There is full confidence to the point of risking your life because you know what you know to be true. And that's what you have with Elijah. So verse 36, you have him calling upon God. And it says, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. 
And in his prayer, this is where I think we can find some points that will be relevant to us as Christians or relevant to us in a culture with Christianity right now, understanding God. He prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. In that first sentence, I think we can find three things. So I'm going to just dissect it, take three parts of it. And then the following verse to me is also relevant. It caps it off. But the first thing we see after he's established the identity of who God is. So this isn't a vague spiritual figure. This isn't an almighty creator God. You know, anyone can say that they believe in a God. I think, you know, for most people in the world, I don't know where you are listening to this podcast, but I would say most people you know, even if they don't go to church, even if they're not outspoken in their faith in Jesus Christ, most people that you know believe that there is something behind the world that we live in. When you look around and you look at nature, when you look at ourselves, few people, I would say, few people can outright with with full confidence declare and profess that there is no creator, that there is nothing behind why we're here and what we are. I'd say the deeper we the deeper we go into our in, into science and biology and astronomy, the more and more we see that makes it harder and harder to believe that things just happened. And that's the direction it's gone throughout history. There, there, it's not an ebb and flow. It's not an up and a down. This isn't an unstable progress in scientific research and, and, and knowledge. Progressively, every year, every generation, we're discovering more and more. Things keep going deeper. Things keep going further out. Things keep getting more spectacular, more more magnificent. So it's getting harder and harder for someone to stand there in front of you, look you in the eye with full confidence to the point that they are really willing to risk their life upon this claim that there is no God. So first, when you pray, you pray to a specific God. You pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. As a Christian, that is my God. My God is not stopping at Jesus because Jesus is the fulfillment of Yahweh, who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You know, even Jesus, when he's talking the Gospel of John, saying, before Abraham, I am. You know, Jesus is the extension, part of the Trinity, that is that God. And that's that's one of the things that makes the God of the Bible and, and, and Christianity so powerful is that it's based off of a relationship with a real being. This is not speaking up into the clouds. This is not speaking into sunsets and sunrises and up to the stars. This is speaking to a person. This is speaking to a father, a king, a creator. This is a relationship. This is one-on-one. And in that relationship, that's where you find the power to do what God claims that we can do with him. That's where you find the kind of faith that can move mountains. That's where you, that's where you find the kind of belief that is undeterred by situations like Elijah finds himself in where you are outnumbered, in danger, at the risk of losing your life. It's because there is a relationship there and you have been known, you have been created, you have been met 
you have experienced a living God. This is not just a name you're praying to. This is not just a being you're praying to. This is God. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. So first, when, when, when Elijah prays, and that's something that we can take with us in our day from this podcast and this episode, when you pray, know who you're praying to. Know that this God knows you better than anyone in your life will ever know you. Not just knows all the hairs in your head. This, this God knows exactly where you are, exactly where you've been, where you're going. When I came to the Lord, when I was saved in 2008, before I was saved, I viewed God as some kind of ambiguous creator being in the sky who, who had so many other more important issues to deal with than focus on my pretty insignificant trivial life. I assumed that he knew us. It was plural, plural knowing. He didn't really know me. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, unbeknownst to me at the time, it's like the clouds moved back and he put his finger on my head and he called me by name. And that first feeling, my reaction to that was not, praise the Lord, thank you God for saving me. That was, oh no, he knows me. That moment was a, 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 big, a big gulp, a big gasp shriek the sphere because this God that I thought wasn't paying attention had been following me the entire time and he knew every moment that I disowned him that I forsake forsook him that I turned my back on him denied him disgraced him that finger on my head was him saying enough's enough so when you pray, and this isn't, to, this isn't to scare you, but this is to bring the reality to the light, that this God, when you pray to God, Elijah is proving this is not to the God of the trees and the God of, you know, your culture and your society. The God, the God, the singular God, the living God, this is all singular, points towards the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. So first when we pray, we have to know who we're praying to. This is real. This is a real relationship. Second, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. So it says, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. So first, let it be known that you are the God of Israel. So when you are up against it, when you are being challenged by your faith, what you're not doing is fighting that person. What you're not doing is is engaging in a debate with that person. This has nothing to do with you and that person. It has everything to do with God and that person. And you are administering reconciliation between that person, their lack of faith or their doubts or their anger against God with God, with the God of Israel. Whenever I would share the gospel with someone, whenever I would have someone new come into a Bible study, God always gave me the picture of a matchmaker. He said, match me up. Take their hand, put it in my hand. I was just someone in between. I was a go-between. Had nothing to do with me. And Jesus reminds us that when they're angry at you, they're not angry at you, they're angry at me. You know, when Samuel is seeing that Israel wants a king, wants a king, what does Yahweh, what does God t- tell, tell Samuel? He's saying, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. 
It's about me and them. So when you're sharing your faith and there's people around you that don't believe when they're when you're surrounded 450 to 1 and people believe you're the maniac, you're the lunatic that believes that the God of the Bible is real. What you're doing first is you're praying to God and you're saying, God, make yourself known to that person. Make yourself known to that person. Come in a real, palpable, tangible way. Encounter them. And how he does that, we don't know how he's going to do it. He could come through a dream. He could come through watching TV. He could come just while they're walking down the street. That's not for us to know. But for us, our role in that process is to pray and say, God, make yourself known to them. It skips right over you. It's not that you're not important. You're very important. You're being used in this process of reuniting a child to his father or her father. You're very important. We have such a privilege as Christians to be part of that ministry of reconciliation. That is a privilege, an honor, a blessing, but it's not about you. No, it's not about you. A pastor preaching the word of God has nothing to do with the pastor, only to the effect that they are reunited with God through the sermon. That's it. The celebration doesn't go to the pastor. You know, you can have gratitude to the pastor, gratitude to a priest or someone that is sharing the word with you. But the celebration is that now you know your father. Now you know the God of Israel. So first, praying that you are taken out of the equation and that God make himself known in a clear, undeniable way to that person. And pray overarching with overall throughout that entire process, God, thy will be done. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Same thing consistent with what's going on in heaven, allow your power that's present with you in your kingdom to be made known to this person that has doubts or has has anger or, or has, has a lack of faith. Second, and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. In that process, you are a servant and you're following everything according to the detail every last detail the way God wants you to do it. And if God says, I want you to stop talking and I want you just to do your work well, you do it. When he says, have courage, be bold, this is your opportunity, share your testimony, you do it. When you're surrounded by people living in a way that contradicts the way that you believe we should be living according to Christ and it pains you to see people living in that way, and you want to say something, and you want to judge them, and you want to feel high and mighty and glad that you're holy and set apart and not like them, and God tells you are just like them at your heart. You listen, and you take that as truth. But you are a servant. You serve the king. Yes, we come in, you know, through that, through that, that narrow gate with the parade of Christ and we are co-heirs, we're welcomed in as, as dearly beloved children, but we are servants, we're disciples. We're disciples that follow a teacher, asking the teacher questions, waiting on the teacher's command, following the teacher's footsteps. We're servants. So first, you're praying to a real God. Remember that when you pray. You must know who you're praying to for there to be any dialogue, any conversation. Second, your prayer is not that you are involved in that process only to the extent that you are reuniting that person or those people that have lack of faith or or doubt with their creator, with their father. 
That's the whole purpose of testifying to the Lord's presence and praying and saying, God, come. Jesus, come. Be here. Be known. Show yourself. So we pray. We actively are praying. But what is being revealed, what is being experienced in that reunion skips over us. We're praying. We're interceding for that person and their relationship or those people. Anyone that is outside of the faith. I'm sure right now, if you thought of it, if you take 10 seconds and think, who do I know that is outside of the faith? That 10 seconds will flood with people. Flood with people. Not even necessarily people that you know you know, personally, but just people that you can think of. Names that pop into your head in society. Groups of people that are outside of the faith, that do not have faith in Jesus Christ. But are you there to be king? No. You're there to be a servant, introducing them to the king. Remember what happens when we're king. Things don't work when we're king. Things don't get clear when we're king. When God is king, that's when you have clarity. That's when you have precision. That's when you have fruit, multiplication, transformation, rejuvenation. (laughs) Introducing them to their father, reuniting them to their father, being a minister of reconciliation between a child and his or her father. And doing all these things at your command. Obeying the will of the Lord. When he says, go, go, have faith. Have faith and go. Even though it's scary. Even though you, you don't know how to, how to express your faith. Even though you've been terrified to share your testimony. You don't know how to word it. You don't know how to, how to tell someone that God is real. You don't know how to share all your weaknesses and where God took you. And where you were when you, when you were found. And where you are now. And what the process been, has been from that point to now. Who cares? God is with you and he's going to give you words. Your job in that moment is just to go, step forward. And maybe the other thing happens. Maybe it's the opposite situation where you just so badly want to open your mouth and talk and God says, shut it. Not now. Do your work. What's it to you? You follow me. You know, there are people that I I have been called to just talk to in that moment. I wasn't preparing. I wasn't amping myself up to engage with them, to share my testimony, to talk about something in regards to Christianity. And God said, go, and I had to do it. But I would say there were far more many instances where I have really wanted to share something, talk about something, address something, and God has said, It's not the right timing. Not now. Put your head down, do your work, and do your work well. Honor me with your work. Honor me in silence. Not everything is like Elijah calling fire down to a big altar. Not everything. But our engaging with him, our our relationship with him is consistent and the same. You know, later on in the story, you have that famous scene where Elijah is, is so depressed, wants God to end his life. And then God reveals himself, not in the fire, not in the earthquake, you know, not in all these huge, bombastic productions, but in the quiet voice, the still small voice. It's the relationship. It's what we're praying for in that moment. So what we can't take from this chapter, from these verses in in chapter 18 is okay, so 
I got to just be bold. I got to go big. I got to bring in the water three times. I got to pump up, you know, puff up my chest. I got to walk high, nose in the air, you know, fists, fists, fists banging together. Let's do this. No. What we are is we're ministers of reconciliation. We're peacemakers. We're bearing good news with good fruit. And the prayer, the prayer is what's important. And you see that the, the prayer preceded the fireworks. You know, we didn't even get to that. But, you know, God, um, oh, no, we did in verse 38. Sorry, my mistake. In 38, that's when the fire comes down. But the prayer preceded that. You know, look at Elijah's prayer. Elijah did not say, I want you to come in this bombastic way. He knew that God would make himself known. And he set up the altar and set up the sacrifices for something to happen. But what he prayed for, that can, that can carry out through age to age to age and to, and to us today. You're speaking to a living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You're praying that his presence be known to the people around you, that his presence be known exactly who he is, and that you're obeying the process to the T, obeying all the commands, his timing, his will. And then in verse 37, answer me, O Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. That seals it up. What's this whole, what's this whole process for? What's this about? This isn't about punishment. This isn't about vengeance, retribution, anger, contest, competition, pride. He's saying, make yourself known so they can see your heart. Make yourself known so they can see what you're trying to do. Make yourself known so that they can know who you are. And who is that? That's a father that is chasing down his children, saying, come back home. It's safe at home. I love you. That's the heart of the living God. A lot of people struggle with the punishment, the judgment, the anger, the authority, but the heart of God. And this is not just something that I've cooked up. This is not just some new approach to the Bible. This is the God of the Bible. Remember, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel. This God is chasing you down, not to tackle you and to abuse you or punish you, but to show you that he's real and to show you that his heart is that you come back. He never desired that we leave. And he's been using people like Elijah. He's using this podcast. He's using the church you're going to not to bring your attention on a podcast or a church or a pastor. It's to redirect your attention onto the living God that's been chasing you down and that wants you back. So you could take this podcast episode as prayer, how to talk to God. You could take this podcast as how to witness what needs, our, what needs to be our priorities when we're sharing the gospel, when we're testifying about Christ. You could take this to be a, a podcast episode about knowing who God is and what his priorities are, what his heart is. But to be a Christian is not about challenging non-believers or non-Christians. It's not about showing off 
how much faith you have. It's not about destroying life, taking life. All it is, is speaking from the position of one that was saved, speaking from the position of one that was spared, one that was forgiven, one that was loved, and is all those things, and praying for people, interceding for them, praying and praying these truths. God, you're real. Make yourself known to them so that they can see your heart, see who you are, and help me, Lord, to obey you throughout the process and to continue to pray. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit present in us, the Spirit of Christ in us, with a heart that wants to share the good news, with a heart that understands what the good news is and how we are recipients of that good news, God will fill your life with people to pray for. And I believe, you know, there are other things you can pray for, but these are foundational. These are, these are fundamental prayers. So for us as Christians, there's, there's so much work to be done, but there's so much hope because you were saved. There's so much hope because you were brought back that your heart turned back to God. And if God could do that with you, think about what he could do with the people that you know and the people in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending us Elijah. Thank you for sending us these scriptures. And thank you that you've sent each one of us an Elijah, a person in our life that has prayed for us, a person in our life that has shown us who you are, and that we have the privilege and the honor of knowing you and approaching you as our Father, as our Creator. And Lord, as we go out into the world and we see people that don't know you, help us to remember these truths and and how we ought to pray that we need to be ministers of reconciliation, peacemakers, ones that bring good news to the poor, to the imprisoned, to the blind, to the lame, to the sick. Help us to get out of the way and to introduce and reintroduce people to you so that they can see your heart and that their hearts can turn back to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so we'll leave it there for this week's episode. Um, And uh, thank you for, for tuning in. Thank you for listening. And as always, remember to send me your thoughts, questions, or comments, uh, or any scriptures um, to mobilewordministry at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, I'd love to hear where you're, uh, where you're listening from um, and to, uh, to involve you guys in the, in the podcast. But uh, thank you for listening. It's always a pleasure to uh, discuss the Bible with you. Um, so until next time, enjoy the word and God bless.